Hello everyone and welcome back to In Our 1990s, the podcast where we're, we are ranking all of the album, all of the alternative albums of the 90s. No matter how many times I do this intro, I'm going to fuck it up. You should write it down. I'm your host, Natalie, and this is my co-host, Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? So, uh, if my voice breaks in weird places in the middle of this podcast, it's because I did stupid things to the edamame and ended up giving myself a very hoarse throat. You tried to breathe edamame. I did is, try is, to breathe edamame. That's the problem, and then it had to had to come back out of your lungs. It did. And it was sounded pretty scary. Um, and I'm going to have allergies, so I'm going to be sniffling through the whole episode. So let's let's knock this one out as fast as we can so we can not talk. Um, we're going to start this week with uh, Slanted and Enchanted, the debut studio album from Pavement from 1992. Uh, they did a couple of like home recorded demos before this album, but this is their first, their first real album for our purposes. I would like to say that this album was in no way enchanted. Okay, so uh, we've talked some shit about Pavement in the past. <clears throat> I think this album's really good now. <laughs> oh no. Um, I, I I think that later on Pavement makes some bad turns, but I. While there are songs on this album that I think are bad, I think that on the whole, I like, I had that moment of like in Mission Hill when when the nerdy brother watches two thousand one and he finally understands like the the potential of sci fi, and he's like, I get it, I get it. That was that was me listening to this album. <laughs> like, I get why people like Pavement. Finally, after after shitting on them for like. 30 years now <laughs> actually it hasn't been that long it's been like 25 years since the first time i heard pavement but um so i i will say i found it just right off the top i found a really funny uh quote from uh robert Christgau, the village voice really the really famous village voice record credit who had said that pavement are good at both tune and noise and the album yields a message complex enough to offer hope that the lyrics will catch up Ah. narrator the lyrics did not catch up they got much worse <laughs> but... see i think that they have like a whisper of a good idea and then they just clutter it and this album just feels cluttered and poorly composed and i just i can't with it because it's oh, like God. i think the the good songs are so well written like the lyrics are good the music's good it takes what was good about Sonic Youth in, in the 80s and improves on it. I think that might be why I have an issue with this, is that it feels like bits and pieces of Sonic Youth and the Pixies. And some weird left turn into the Apples apples and Stereo. Yeah, except like, it was before, and, and it inspired everything that came after. Yeah, which is great. I'm glad all of that stuff is better than this, because, <laughs> holy shit, no. Yeah, so Stephen Malkmus has never been popular in in the music industry. Uh, when this album came out, Marky e. Smith from The Fall just shit all over it and was like, "They don't have a single idea. They didn't steal from us," which I think is kind of ridiculous. Like, I don't think the sound like Stephen Malkmus some... definitely seems like Marky e. Smith, but like, this doesn't sound like The Fall to me for the most part. Like, There's some of The Fall in there, but I don't think it's I don't think it's enough to like you know. Let's take him to the courts. I don't think it's nearly as much as Sonic Youth and the Velvet Underground. Oh, fuck. And it's really, I wish they'd taken more from the Velvet Underground besides that one album they did with Nico, because that's all they took from the Velvet Underground. I mean, that's all anybody takes from the Velvet Underground is Velvet Underground and Nico. But, yeah, so this was, like, 
Coming out in 1992, this this is such a hugely influential album for basically all of the indie rock for the rest of the decade is going to sound like this. <laughs> all time, really. There's still shit that sounds like well, this. Yeah, there's, there is, but like especially for the 90s, this is so just monumentally influential on everything that would come after it from, you know, the Archers of Loaf to Helium are, are going to sound like this. The Archers of Loaf are so much better. I liked Archers of Loaf better because they have more of a sense of humor, but it like they're not so up their own ass as pavement. I mean that that is pavements. That that was my issue with pavement since the first time I heard them is like these guys are so fucking in love with themselves. It's the most pretentious shit I've ever heard. Yeah, it's fucking Owl City and the Postal Service for like this generation. And no, like, it's nowhere near as sincere as the Postal Service. But it, I feel we can safely put them in realms of being sincere and then also having an outsized influence on the rest of fucking music around you. These things are very comparable. Yes, in, in that respect, yes, but not in the attitude of the band. Um, so, like, I think the Summer Babe, the opening track, is excellent. I like that song. Great right. indie rock song. Um, Trigger Cut is amazing by far by far the best song in the album in my opinion um that that was the song especially that i was like okay i like i get why people were like this is the best band of the 90s so i was into it for those two songs then no life singed her and i was like that song is terrible that that's like their weird stooges pastiche and it's not even good stooges no it's, it's i i think the problem with that song is the vocals yes he, like he can't he can't do he cannot do any pop at all and it's and also it's recorded like it's like what if we took out all the frequencies that aren't right in the middle of the mid-range and just destroy your eardrums yeah what if we did that with our stooges pastiche and yeah that song it's like painful to listen to and like maybe if it were recorded not so lo-fi it would be listenable but yeah i fucking i hated that one that was the one where i turned back around and was like oh okay i was right about pavement they suck shit <laughs> uh but the but the album does the album never gets that bad again <laughs> like that's the the worst song on uh, the album. I, I feel flamethrower gets close oh i love flamethrower it's so that song is so that's the song that reminded me of helium uh, because the synths on it sounds so much like what Helium would do on like the Dirt of Luck and the Magic City. Um, and again, I liked it more when Helium did it because Mary Timoney had this weird like, I'm going to write about castles and dragons thing going on. Mm. And like the way she played played those synths was more of a like, like a uh, journey to the center of me, like medieval prog rock kind of influence. Um but like the tone is is what comes from this and like probably the idea to use that kind of that kind of synth in indie rock um i i think that conduit is kind of bad too like this that's kind of like the one where he's just talking yes um like i, I think those lyrics veer too far into up his own ass pretentious stephen malchmas that you get later <laughs> in the band uh, uh, and I think Jackal's uh, False Grails, The Lonesome Era, is like good for showing there's more to them than just sounding like Sonic Youth meets the Velvet Underground. Yeah, but that title. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's a, but again, like think of how many bands have song titles like that still. 
Yeah, but like I think when I think of song titles like this, I think of like Coheed and Cambria, which like they own their bullshit. Yeah, but this is like a you know a <clears throat> long psych rock jam, so it should have a title like that. Like if it were like a freak folk song with that title, I would hate it. But the fact <laughs> that it's like a you know fuzzed out psych rock just noodle fest like in a good way <laughs> um it like i think it earns that title yeah uh, i mean i was having a hard time really picking anything out after conduit because it all kind of started to feel very samey it does get kind of samey after conduit there's a lot of it like one track i think uh, loretta's stars i think stands out as like sounding more like it's maybe the least original song on the album. It, it sounds more like early '90s alt rock. Yeah, because it's got that really present, like big bassline, and and it also kind of uh, Stephen Mountain's vocals are kind of back in the mix in a way that makes me think it's a My Bloody Valentine homage. Um, just because the rest of the album, he's so front and center, mm-hmm. like he's all you can hear on some of the, the songs. I don't know. I think that it does such a great job of taking like Daydream Nation, Sonic Youth, and making it more tuneful and concise. And you know, you can argue about the lyrics. Like again, I think the lyrics on Trigger Cut are really, really good and evocative. In a like, they're not. It's not like Stephen Merritt lyrics or anything. But like, but if I want bad lyrics and someone doing a, a Sonic Youth tribute, I just listen to Placebo. But the lyrics are good. But the, the majority of them aren't. I, yeah, I don't think that on this album. I think it's like I think that Conduit is bad. I think I think maybe I, I'm judging the lyrics because I don't like his voice so much that that is coloring any sentiment that he could have. I think that every almost everything he does with his voice is wrong for his voice and the music. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't mind his voice. I, I think he sounds uh, like a not as baritone Calvin Johnson from Beat Happening. Yeah. Um, which is obviously another influence on them. Not not as big, not nearly as big as Sonic Youth and the Velvet Underground, but uh, yeah. And and they actually claimed once again the Replacements as a big influence, which I do not hear at all in in any of this, <laughs> except maybe uh, Loretta Stars might sound a little bit like the replacements but mm-hmm. nowhere near like the lemon heads you know like we were talking about last week oh yeah yeah i mean i know part of this is just i just don't like pavement very much and that is something that is going to continue to be an issue for the rest of the show i think it's mostly going to be an issue on this album <laughs> um because i like i still just cannot what i've what i've listened to anytime i tried it because i i did you know uh, like, I tried over the years to occasionally go back and be like, I was probably in a bad mood the first time I heard them. I probably, like, maybe if I'm not looking at Stephen Malkmus and the way he, like, preens on stage, I won't hate them as much. And, like, I would try to go back and listen to stuff and, and just couldn't get into it. And I don't think, I think mostly I tried to listen to Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain over and over. Mm. And, I, like, I'd never have gotten into that album, even though I don't hate it as much as I used to. But, like... This album is just, I mean, I'm an indie rock fan, I'm a noise fan, I'm a lo-fi fan, and, and this has all that. And, I, and I'm and i just not. Yeah, I, 
I'm sorry. I wish I could like at least get you to appreciate the like the good from the from the bad because there is a lot of like shit no. pavement ripoffs. Okay, there. look. So what I said <laughs> earlier is like I don't. I personally don't think that I don't like the song at all, but I am not going to let that color the way I feel about its ranking because I do see those things. And I can just be like, I, 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 I objectively do not get the, the goodness of the lyrics, or and I just find it very messy and slapdash. And there are, like I said, there are good ideas that are utterly spoiled by indulgence. And normally, I can find with a bit of indulgence in an album because it, it gives it its character. And here, that character is just a mess. And. I know that I'm in the wrong versus everyone else who listens to this album. I don't think that you're wrong about the indulgence. I mean, that's that's always been what put me off of them is like just the pretentiousness of it. Yeah. Um, I just don't think this album for the most part has that. Like Conduit has it. Uh, shit, my phone went off. Um, no Life Sinister has it. Like that. that's a, like putting that song on the album is like a a prince level bad decision of everything i record must be put out there because it is all great yeah um, but even prince didn't adhere to that because it's a, like an entire vault full of shit he never released um uh, prince wrote like a thousand songs a day i guess he because did. he put out some real shit alongside his well, absolute is, genius <laughs> well those are the songs he believed in and they yeah so like there there are like thousands of hours of music like unheard prince stuff um Two states. That was also. Yeah, I didn't think that was great. No, perfume V. No, I thought that one's fine. I, I think most of the second half of the album is like fine. Yeah, it's it's not as as bothersome as once you get after Summer Babe, Winter Version, and Trigger Cut. Like those two, I will give you those. Those are good songs. Uh, yeah, though I mean those are easily the two best songs yes. on the album. Like I I think Flamethrower is great. Um, I I know we're gonna disagree on that one, but. And like I think Loretta Stars is good, Chelsea's wrists is good. Like most of it is most of it is like good it, it, with a couple of like really glaring, obvious, like this is fucking horrible. <laughs> it, it, and I don't even think conduit is that bad musically. I just think it's like bad beat poetry lyrics. Yes, it very much is. And like I, I think another thing that's coloring it is that I know I have heard so many bands that tried so hard to just mimic this. Yeah. And that is also, it's like, eh, fuck you with the source. Because, like, I can't explain how utterly terrible all bands were in the 90s when it came to wanting to be this. And Yeah, and a lot of them are terrible. And I had to deal with that friends, brothers being in bands that sounded like this. I had to deal with so many people being like, dude, you have to listen to Pavement, like when they would hear me play, and I was just like, I have, and no. And and I've mellowed. I, I like, but also, like, for me, Pavement, like, Bright in the Corners was the first Pavement I ever heard. Mm -hmm. And that one, I think, is where it gets just super off the rails as far as the, like, just, we are so fucking ironic, we don't know if we're being ironic anymore. Mm. And, and, hearing that shit um like it, it just it was so antithetical to where i was at that time which was just like 
I'm 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 going to be the most you know I was super into the cure and nine inch nails. <laughs> I was not in the mood for ironic detachment in my lyrics, and I've mellowed a lot on that over time. I mean, just because you know if if you hate irony, just like kill yourself in the current world because that's all all there is left. You know, nobody's sincere about anything anymore. And there's just a certain vibe of it in the from the nineties, particularly the early nineties. It's just like, ugh. And this is coming from that part of the early 90s where, like, everything kind of sounded like mud. And this is more squealy mud. Man, I I just, like, that That I can't. That's where we disagree so hard, because I think this, most of this album sounds fucking fantastic. <laughs> like, it sounds exactly like a lo-fi noise, you know, noise rock should sound. Yeah. Um... Unless you're going to be, you know, medicine or melt banana and just go completely insane. But like for the, you know, post Sonic Youth noise indie rock, this is like top notch. You'll you'll find an album someday that I, I come down on the side of because like <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll find it. Like and I bring up Placebo again because they do introduce the same noise affinity that Sonic Youth has, but they do it in very... So placebo writes from more of a pulp, uh, a pop uh, perspective, where they ease that shit in. So Brian will pick at the above the nut on his guitar and make that plink plink sound. Yeah. He'll he'll jam a pedal and make it go wah, and it's it's always done with some with a, a sincere appreciation of Sonic Youth. But it is more controlled, and I think more artful for it. Uh, sometimes this, and I think this is going to be like my my stance on a lot of noise rock is that sometimes I don't think it's necessary, and I think it actually detracts from the the quality of music. And I also know that that is the appeal of noise rock for many people. And this is where we are at a fundamental impasse. Well, so I, I do disagree with you on this album about it not being controlled. I think this is like Captain Beefheart shit. I think that this is very planned out to sound the way it does. It, and it, like, I'm, you know, I might be totally wrong and this might've just been them getting chaotic in the studio, but like the fact that it's so hooky and so catchy a lot of the time makes me think that they put a lot of thought into, into the way it's noisy. And then the parts where I said reminded me of like the apples and stereo. I liked those parts but it's like I wish there was more of that, and I, I and I feel I will I will give more. Tibbs has things to say about pavement. Our dog has started barking, and I'm sure you can hear it. Yep, I I will give more pavement a listen. Maybe I will find something when there when I something that I don't hate. Uh, and I don't really hate this that much. It's more just like ah fuck off. And it it really is coming down from, like, I heard too much shit that was taking direct influence from the kinds of things that Pavement was doing. And I'm just like, I can't with the way this sounds. Because if I think this sounds kind of, like, middle of the road and watered down, what do you think someone who's ripping this off poorly sounds like? So, yeah. like... I think it's, a, you know, a Pearl Jam and Candlebox thing, mm. though. Like, I don't think you can hold the shitty ripoffs against the original, and I think that the ripoffs of Pavement are way less shitty than the ripoffs of Pearl Jam. Now, Pearl Jam did a the world a massive disservice, and I, but more so, I think, than, than Pavement ever did. Because without Pearl Jam, we probably wouldn't have Nickelback. Probably not. We definitely wouldn't have had Creed without oh, fuck, Pearl Jam. Yeah. 
So Creed would have like sounded like Van Halen or something. I almost would have. I almost want to hear that. I mean, it, Creed cannot possibly be worse. Creed is not worse. Well, no, they can't possibly get worse. Is oh. what I'm saying. Um. Okay. So let's look at rankings. Um. All right. So so let me make make my case here. Um, oh no. <laughs> it like. I do feel like this should make the top ten. Because what are of how you fucking it, thinking about? <laughs> you no. It's so influential and so seminal that even though I don't like it as much as I don't like it as much as anything that's in the top ten, except I think it's you know you I, I like it, I like it more than Chill Uncle. Um, but I'm not gonna say it should. I, I I would. My argument is it should go at ten. I'm I'm willing to sacrifice Pearl Jam from the top ten. Because I think this album's so I think this album's that important. Like it, just side based loading on some the, bullshit. Like. Based on the quality of the songs, no, I would not put it you know, based on the quality of the songs, I would probably put it at like fifteen. Based on how important it was, I I think it's it's one of those things where I worry about our credibility if we don't put it at least at number ten. Oh, you know, we're looking at this through the through the through the like filter of time. We can. Well, yeah, it'll drop out. I mean, there's stuff that's gonna knock it out of the top ten eventually, but like. But I argue that like fucking ten is colossally more influential and also problematic problematic for it. But I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think ten is more influential. I think it was more influential for a little while when every fucking band was trying to sound like Pearl Jam, but like. Nobody wants to sound like Pearl Jam now. Uh, there are bands that still sound like Pearl Jam. Releasing like, albums in the year of our Lord 2020. Yeah, but nobody likes them. Whereas there are bands that Except sound like Except guys that, that have like those, those same ratty goatees they've had for 20 years and also were really into System of a Down. There for a bit. <sighs> well, where do you... I mean... Oh, fuck. Uh, I mean, I was going to argue 15 would probably be fine, but... I, I I can't I don't want to I don't think we should put it below what's the story morning glory because that's a similar thing to Pearl Jam for me of like everybody wanted to sound like it for three years and now nobody wants to sound like it fine we can put it at 10 and I'm putting it above the cardigans so which is crazy because I would put it below the cardigans I, I mean I based on the song quality yes yes based on the importance I well, so the next time there's an album that's very important and I say it's important, you go like, it's not important. We're going to have this fight. What what album do you think is important that I don't? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm joking mostly, but when I was talking about Marcy Playground. Oh. That album is not that important. It had one huge hit on it. But yeah, we can put it at 10. Okay. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I... I Again, like it, for me, it's a credit. It's partially a credibility thing too. Like, I think we have to have one pavement album that we rank highly because we're probably going to be really hard on the others. All right, so change to the top ten for the first time in forever. Um, slanted enchanted, slanted and enchanted, join at number ten, and we will put that on the list and come back to talk about David Bowie.
are back, and our second album of the week is from 1997, one of the one of the few late 90s albums we have on the list so far, um, is Earthling by David Bowie. Take it away, Hadrian. Yeah, so Earthling was actually recorded in 1996. Uh, Bowie has a style, well, had a style, uh, that he would go into a studio for like two and a half weeks and just bang out an album. Uh, this was most notably uh, prior to this. He actually, so they did this right after the Outside tour ended. So he had just he he had released Outside that had like boot, boot of Suburbia on it, I believe. And if, we were going to do this one previously, and I opted to do her thing first, mostly because Outside did not do very well compared to this one, which also didn't do super hot, but it did do interestingly well. Uh, so this album is a mismatch of. Bowie just going into a studio and hitting things and making things make noise. Uh, nothing is sampled from anyone else, even though those the drum beats throughout many of this many of the tracks on this album sound like they could come from a drum machine. They are actually sequenced individually and unique to those songs. Even if they do sound similar, they did not take samples from anybody else, which is what something Bowie really wanted to do. Uh, Bowie likes to have way too many concepts particularly after scary monsters and super creeps uh that album he ties directly to this one in the mindset that he's in the very intense energy that it has and i feel that it's correct i think they're i think seven years in tibet has mad scary monsters energy and that song kind of takes the the place in the middle of this album um i need to listen to that album then because i think seven years in tibet is fucking great it's, it is it is great. Scary Monsters is also great. But the thing is, is like, when Bowie stopped doing pop, which he very definitively did with Tin Machine, because Tin Machine did not work, and then... Tin Machine had a song called Tin Machine on an album called Tin Machine. Yep, sure <laughs> Maybe did. not Bowie's height of art. Of art. <laughs> no, but after that, he started doing more experimental, ingenious pieces. So prior to this, he had recorded uh, Outside with Brian Eno. And on Outside, he had been... So in Brian Eno's uh, autobiography, or diaries, I guess, diary collection, uh, he's talking about Bowie going into the studio and just making weird noises and singing and randomly sampling stuff and putting in weird sequences and it just working. And he got in the middle of that process, which they remained on good terms, I believe, up until uh, Bowie's death. But Bowie in the press for Earthling said that we did something that Brian Eno got in the middle of best regards to Brian Eno. So what they, what Brian Eno got in the middle of is that Bowie likes to take, wanted to make the real synthetic and he loves this idea of, of synthesize. He likes synthesizing things and he was very fascinated because he didn't really use a lot of synthesizers or effects really. He was very rock for like a long time and so what they were doing is they were taking uh, individual notes or chords from guitars and recording them and, and keying them to keys on a keyboard and making riffs that way, which is why none of the drums are sampled until they made their own sequences for drums and didn't use those samples. They didn't use any drum samples? No. Because I swear the Hallelujah break is on like several of these songs. It, it, it's like Bowie swears that they, they did all those samples themselves. Uh, but... This is a, a weird progression of Bowie just going into a room for two weeks and just making stuff happen. He he 
when talking about this album, he would talk about there's a lot of me discussing uh, and being in a weird atheistic versus Gnosticism place, which is something that remained with him for the rest of his life. He was very into Gnosticism. And he was also viewed this as like the last sound of the 20th century. He, he viewed outside and earthling as a what the 20th century was ending on and what it, it, it had culminated into. And yeah, this is a very end of history album. Yes, and that's that's what's really what he's trying to do with it. And I and he he said it, it launched uh, it laid out his idea for the rest of his life of just experiencing and synthesizing and exploring that Gnostic angle. And I know this seems like bullshit, but this is the stuff that people, when they think about the way Bowie produces music, they don't get. And so albums like this kind of get like not. Bowie did that fucking drum and bass album. That's terrible. It's like, he didn't give a shit about it being very drum and bassy. That was not what they intended to do when they went into the studio. He would been listening to Tricky, and he had been listening to... Uh, the, the man he recorded with had been listening to Nine Inch Nails. They met on tour with Outside. And that came together that was just... Yeah, and Trent Reznor worked on I'm Afraid of Americans. Yeah, he did a remix of I'm Afraid of Americans. This also entered into when Bowie was super into remixes. And prior to this, uh, on the album Heroes, uh, oh, I don't know if it's an album. Anyway, it, Bowie recorded Heroes in German as Helden. And on this album, he re-recorded Seven Years in Tibet in Mandarin and then released it in uh, Hong Kong because that shit would not have, fla- have flown in mainland China. No, no, it definitely <laughs> would not have gone over in, in Beijing. But yeah, so uh, and the, interestingly enough, that song in Hong Kong was the rank, uh, charted number one. It's one of the only songs on the album to chart number one, and the first time a non-Asian singer has charted number one in Hong Kong. And so Bowie is a difficult to pin down figure, and people who think they understand his music or where he's coming from just don't if they don't interact with the idea that he went in and just did whatever the fuck he wanted because it felt right. And people trying to emulate that are fucking up because they're not going in and doing what feels right. They're just trying to emulate a sound. So I think this album in particular, even though on its surface sounds very like, oh, this is just him fucking around with the drum machine. It's more than that. And I think it comes through the more you listen to it. Sorry, uh, do you want to talk about <laughs> this album at all? Uh, I I think it's really good. <laughs> um, I, I think this is an album that probably actually first let me say I said the Hallelujah break. I meant the Amen break. And I'm, I'm sorry, drone bass fans. I, I I don't have that committed to memory so much. Um, but like this is maybe not like hugely critically popular at the time. I think it holds up. I think it aged really well. Of all of his stuff in the '90s, I think this did age the absolute best. Which is weird because in a way, I mean, what I kept coming back to is like, it sounds like mostly he listened to a lot of garbage because the guitars sound so much like garbage's guitars. But garbage listens to a lot of Bowie and, right. lot of their, and he played the guitar on this. He played, as he said, I played the shit out of the guitars on this. So he And, so and then the, he just sampled them and played them back on a keyboard. <laughs> it's because he noodles and he figures out something and he does something weird with it. And Well, it, it fits though, because like it, it should not sound like you know, a tube screamer. Like, that wouldn't fit with this music. It has this really synthetic, oversaturated distortion. That, and that's what they wanted. He wanted is, to... Yeah. He wanted to, So the cover of this album was very oversaturated, very bright, very weird. And he wanted to invoke that imagery in a tonal form. And I think he did it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's very... 
it, it, it's like you like you said making the real synthetic i mean it takes rock music and then turns it into samples and reconstructs it and i think that that at the time i mean i remember hearing i'm afraid of americans at the time and just being like yeah this is like an old guy trying to be relevant and like but now like i mean god it, how how like relevant is that song now it <laughs> it's is, constantly and, relevant and the thing is also in taking from influences for this i tried to mix two words there he was going from philadelphia soul and he wanted to embody that with a more european uh eye which is where i'm afraid of americans came from and that's that made this album even more poignant for this point in time um but anything you you think you hear anything you might want to understand from bowie like you just dig a little bit and he's probably said something about it he probably had a wild hair and was eating an apple one day and was like i have a novel idea and then just but then he didn't say that he just left a room and then music happened like bowie was fucking amazing yeah um i love dead man walking that's that's yes. my favorite song in the album um because it kind of sounds like wire <laughs> the vocals sound very wire it is very wire um it, the the song i mean it's you know it's a techno track then again with the garbage guitars over the top of it and then his vocals sound a lot like wire um which i don't know if bowie listened to wire I, i'm sure he's heard them or oh, he had he heard them totally but, did um that that sounds like a direct um direct reference on that one and i wonder if he has heard if he heard any momus because the last thing you should do to me sounds like something that would have been a b-side on 20 vodka jellies <laughs> and i think looking for satellites also has a very momusy vibe it has it's not directly or as fast as uh with entity from the philosophy of momus but i definitely you hear where i'm where i'm going with that it just has something about it just hits that same vibe yeah and little wonder like he takes the piss out of that song he's i think that song's really good and his vocals are really bad on it and i think he did what his heart wasn't in it because that song he took he made a line of the song for each of the seven dwarves from snow white and the seven dwarves like <laughs> and then he invented some more dwarves but that that's, wasn't that's fucking song. evan dando writing a song about his stove shit except like way better yeah so, <laughs> no seriously bowie was like insane but he could just make nonsense great now i do think outside's kind of bad and that's why I kept thinking, like, do I start with that or do I do Earthling? And I'm like, fuck, do the do one of your favorite Bowie albums. And I'm going to say it. This is one of my favorite Bowie albums. Is it one that is warmly remembered by people who have nostalgia for Ziggy Stardust or people who think they understand Bowie or really love Bowie because it gives them the emotional feels and relevance of someone having died that was prominent? No. Is it a good-ass Bowie album showing you exactly what a fucking lunatic Bowie was and how amazingly creative that is? Yes. Can you dismiss it wholeheartedly and not give a fuck about it? Absolutely. Which is when Bowie is at his best, honestly. Because his music, it sounds throwaway. Which I will say, like, his self-titled album, uh, when he was still sort of a, a folk singer, uh, there is a lot of that here. It is Bowie just playing around, doing Bowie. And because when he was wearing dresses, doing folk music, he didn't give a fuck. And he did exactly what he wanted to do with it. And that's what this album is. It is a distillation of him coming through a lots of highs and lows, seeing the, tw the 20th century for what it was, and then doing whatever the fuck he wanted. 
Oh, sorry. So I do think looking for satellites is fucking terrible. I, I hate that song. I so used to much. hate that song. I don't hate it it's as much. It's the now. vocals. The vocals are so bad on that one. TV shampoo. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's really weird because I feel like the first three songs, like I like Battle for Britain, but I, again, like I don't think his voice sounds like Seven Years in Tibet is where he starts sounding like he remembered how to sing, and then the mm-hmm. rest of the album is good, except for I don't like the time stretch. I don't know if it's time stretched or if it, he was just singing like it was, but on Telling Lies, where he's like Telling Lies on the chorus. I think it probably is time stretched. And also the phrase telling lies is just ruined for me because I can't hear it without thinking no papa. I, I thought about that too when when I was I just, listening I see again. telling lies and I think no papa. And I, I, I think about like uh, the but I only but when I hear it I think about the meme which is the Garden of Eden <laughs> and God be like, telling lies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, law everything's on fire. That's a banger. It's like it's not something that like you will like. That's the problem with the album. And probably why it didn't chart as super well. But it did chart okay. Well, also because you can't have a whole lot of seven minute long single, singles and most sure. of the songs. But it, it's like seven years in Tibet that totally justifies being as long as it is. Dead Man Walking, totally, like, I'm fine with those songs being as long as they are. I'm afraid of Americans just, especially, and I think the version on this album is the original version. The Trent Reznor one was more popular. Which, honestly, it wasn't, though, because... Uh, so he recorded the song for the movie Schoolgirls. So that was actually ninety five. So this is the oldest song on this album, and so it was the one and one of the only songs I think that wasn't written in the studio when they were doing this. Uh, and it kind of feels out of place because he didn't feel he felt it didn't fit on outside, and I think that's correct. It didn't fit on outside, and it kind of doesn't fit here too. But because it doesn't fit, it fits. If that makes sense. It's because it just sort of thematically fits, even though it tonally doesn't fit. And the Trent Reznor version, I think, is slightly better. Uh, but this version is fine. But the Trent Reznor version did not chart well. Comparatively, what they thought it was going to do. Well, and I mean, it's a, America was going to hate that song. Oh, yeah. Because most of America is shitty and j- jingoistic. So, of course, they're, you know even back when I heard it and thought this is an old guy trying to be relevant, I was like, oh, I like the lyrics. <laughs> he's not wrong. Like, no, he's yeah. not wrong. I'm afraid of Americans and I am one. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I picked this album this week. But Yes, it, uh, it is a good good week for it. And the code on the cover of the album was actually designed by Alexander McQueen. Uh, don't know who that is, but it's a good code. Uh, he is a he was a f- fantastic fashion designer he uh committed suicide a f- few years back but he also was notably did lady gaga's insane shoes all those like crazy like monster demon shoes he did all of those so yeah i fucking love this album it's it's really good um i like but and even though i say i love it i think it is genuinely one of his best albums it is his 20th album and that's important and it's just a weird thing but it proves that like david bowie can do anything and you will listen at least for five minutes and then you will listen to another five minutes yeah and that's not even one song in this album (laughs) 
But again, as the person who constantly complains about songs being too long, I do want to go out of my way to point out that, you know, the long songs on this album didn't feel that long to me. It, like, oh, it, I didn't have any moments where I looked down at the time and was like, holy shit, how much fucking longer is this thing going to go on? Yeah, Bowie didn't overstay his welcome. I don't think there's any Bowie song that I know of outside of, like, probably Buddha, Buddha of Suburbia. I don't like that song very much. Uh, that overstays its welcome. Okay. I say I take that back. I think there's probably something on the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust. But don't doesn't matter. No, uh, I don't think there's anything that's too long on that album. <laughs> I mean I'm a I'm a basic bitch and that's like my favorite Bowie album, so you know. That's fair. Uh I really like Pinups. Uh that's an that's a cover album and it was hard to find for a long time until uh I think it was twenty eighteen that they did a uh, record store day re-release that album and i was like everyone's like have you heard pinups this is like all oh, these really great covers and i'm like all of you can blow this out your goddamn asses <laughs> i have been a bowie fan my whole life and you motherfuckers gonna come along and tell you uh, i mean it has to be similar to when i heard someone call bright eyes shoegaze and oh. and i you know i blacked out for a while i don't don't really know what happened you know Woke up in a jail cell, but I don't think I did what they said I did. Um, but my favorite, my, my my suggestion, if you don't know much about Bowie and want to explore, is uh, check out the Sound and Vision collections. Because I think that gives you a better understanding of especially what Bowie's doing on this album, but also his just creative, like, maelstrom. Because the, the 2001 four-disc set for Sound and Vision, they redo the set occasionally. It had some of the best early samples, uh, early studio option, uh, yeah, demos. I meant to say demos, not samples. And just crazy mixes of songs um, that he just never stopped tinkering with things. And this album is kind of a testament to that. They didn't stop tinkering until it sounded cool. All right, did, did you have to get out of here by seven? Uh, it can be a little late, it's fine. Okay. Well, I'm 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 fine with ranking it now. I yeah, mean, we can rank we, it. We haven't gone very long, but if if you're, I don't have a whole lot to say. Unfortunately, you're the you're the Bowie scholar here. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I knew more because I could probably. I think you'd find mm -hmm. Bowie creatively stressful, <laughs> but also fascinating. I mean, I have listened to a fair amount of Bowie, and and like I don't love all of it, but. It's uh, like I like Ziggy Stardust so much because that's the one album where I like almost every song. Mm -hmm. And like this one, I like most of the songs. It, his other albums I've listened to, it's like really high and low. Like there's stuff on Aladdin saying that I think is fantastic. And then he does like a doo wop homage. And I'm just like, oh, don't do that. This, this isn't good. <laughs> and like Diamond Dogs, um, you know, there's some really great stuff and some really bad stuff. Oh, Diamond Dogs is one of my favorites. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's one of my favorites too. Like it has more songs I like on it, but again, there's some stuff. I think you'd like Scary Monsters, and Scary Monsters definitely invokes a similar vibe. But it was you know, fifteen years before this, so yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, if it has that sound similar to Seven Years in Tibet, then I'm I'm there for that. Yeah, and I think like songs like We Are the Dead also, whenever he gets that, that, that Bowie thing happening is like, I don't even know how to describe what he does with his voice. It is just the Bowie thing. 
It is the Bowie thing that has been the kind hill. Of, kind of nasally, but also not. Yeah, it is the Bowie thing that many a British man has tried, hill that, that many of a British man has tried to die on. <sighs> and even he can't pull it off all the time on this album. No, but. This... For the most part, he does. Yeah. Though, so. All right, so where do you think this should go? You're going to be very, very uncomfortable with this. Uh, try me. Number four. Okay, yeah, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I, I, I don't think this is top ten. And I think you're crazy. I think it's top ten adjacent. I think it is, by and large, so much more meaningful and better than that pavement album. Uh, more meaningful, I will give you. I, I don't think musically it's as good. Um... Man, I don't want to immediately not slant it and chant it out of the top ten. <laughs> um, that's why I, I was, was going to say. I that's could why I was with... very perplexed that you put it in the top ten at all because I was well, like, I'm I coming it, with a Bowie gun. What are I, you doing? I think it belongs there. I didn't think you would think this this Bowie album was top ten. This is one of my favorite Bowie albums. Um, well, I'd have fought way harder for slant it and chant it if I knew you were going to put this in the top ten. Um, I mean, give me a give me, give me a reasonable argument. Well, I mean, I think it, like, for me, I would put it at 13 because I don't like it as much as that Hardigan's album. And I, I, I don't, so so my real argument is I don't think this album is important. I don't think this really inspired anyone. Mm. Musically, I mean. But I think it's important because of its, like, closure of, of a century. I think it is Bowie sending off everything that inspired him and everything that, he took from it and then it, and it comes out as like a drum and bass album and then like that's very in on a very surface level appraisal that's what people will dismiss about it but this album unfolds the more you listen to it and i think that gives it this like complexity and interest that just makes it so important and such a weird gem i mean it was re-released in 2004 and did far better in 2004 than it did in the 90s yeah see i'm not even that like against it going in the top ten, except that I don't want to knock pavement out of the second we put it in. Um, like, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be against this going at at like number nine. I still think Kill Uncle is a real problem because we're getting into all these albums that I th like. I think this is better than Kill Uncle. I think Slanted and Enchanted is better than Kill Uncle. Um, you know, we're getting all these albums that should be above Kill Uncle that are going below it. Um. Here, I'll cut you a deal. Okay. Put Slant and Enchanted above Kill Uncle. We're gonna we're gonna undo what we did earlier. I'm we're we're gonna undo what we did earlier. This is unprecedented. Put it above Kill Uncle. Put Earthling at number at number ten. Okay, I think we're cheating, but I I liked that deal. Because I, I think Slanted and Enchanted should be higher, and I'm fine with this album going in the top ten. Even though it's it's not where I would put it, but I'm, you know, I, I, I don't think it's not... Look, we're not breaking any rules because it's the same show. Same episode, yeah. And we are having this complication, so if we can just solve the Kill Uncle problem... <laughs> well, it doesn't solve the Kill Uncle problem. It is closer to solving the Kill Uncle problem than it was. 
Okay, but it's it's. It, I don't think we should make it a habit of doing this. But I don't think we're going to do this very often. How many of other Bowie albums am I going to throw out here? How many <laughs> other of my favorite Bowie albums am I going to put out on this on this on this show? None, because I don't like any other the Bowie albums of the nineties. <laughs> okay, well, man, I was not expecting this this episode to go in such controversial directions, but. We we have two new entries to the top ten, and also the unprecedented thing of moving an album up after we rank it. But hey, I got my album farther up the list. So look, I, I'm a Satanist. Sometimes we have to be very realistic about <laughs> problems. Yeah, man. Let's get Kellenville out of the top ten. <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit before we do that, but <laughs> yeah, read dim song or albums. Okay, so our new top ten. At number ten, Earthling by David Bowie. At number nine, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. At number eight, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. At number seven, uh, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number six, Spooky by Lush. Number five, Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, the Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number three, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. And still at number one, Nonsuch by XTC. The only album on the list whose placement we agree on. <laughs> I think we oh, we agree on the pod being <laughs> being the, the dead last, and we agree about get lost. Okay, I, I and wasn't we sure. agreed largely about the divine comedy. Yeah, so true, true. Please give me a break. It's, hey, we we both got something like what we wanted out of this episode. We're get, he, Natalie doesn't know that my vengeance comes in the form of freak folk country. Oh boy! No, it doesn't. I was going to say, you hate Freak Folk at least as much as I do. <laughs> I do. So glad that we don't have to do much of that on the show. I think there's a Devendra Bar- Bonhart album on, in the 90s. I think probably the better Devendra Bonhart album, too. So, well, If there is one. Okay. Um, so you have a meeting to get to, and I want to eat dinner. So let's let's get out of here and, 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 you know. What are you doing next week? Oh, yeah. Hey. I, I forgot all that shit. Um, okay, so if you want to see our complete listings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. You can also search Spotify to hear our uh, complete show playlist, and every episode of the show will be there as well. And we're also going to be adding to that playlist with what we're doing next week. What are you doing, Hadrian? Uh, the first American Recordings album by Johnny Cash. Oh, fun. And I am going to do, because I did not think to pick an album, so I'm just going right off the top of my head here, and I'm going to say Flood by They Might Be Giants. Damn, yeah. So, finally finally getting They Might Be Giants on here, and I'm a They Might Be Giants super fan, so get ready for another fight next week. <laughs> nice. All right, now we're going to get out of here. Yes. Bye. <laughs>